You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to an all-new episode of Surf Splendor. I'm your host, David Scales. Thanks for tuning in, and um, thanks for all the feedback for our, from our last episode, Anatomy of a Surf Trip, documenting my involvement on a surf trip down to Bocas del Toro in Panama. The feedback's been really positive. It, it was a little bit um, more of an experimental format for the show. But honestly, it is what I enjoy in podcasts. I listen to a lot of radio documentaries that are really just storytelling that have nothing to do with surfing. And part of my ambition with Surf Splendor was to produce content similar to that. And it's a lot of pre-production work and a lot of post-production work. And that's why I really haven't, hadn't gotten around to it until recently. But I'm, I'm pretty happy with the results, and I'm, I'm more happy with just the feedback that you've given um, based on that episode. So hopefully we will be able to do more episodes like it, but considering that we don't have a staff to help produce content like that, um, they will be a little bit more fewer and farther between than these other episodes. Um, so thanks. Keep the feedback coming. You know you can get a hold of me at surfsplendorpodcast.com and on social media at Surf Splendor on Instagram and Twitter, and then, of course, on Facebook as well. So um, reach out there. Keep this conversation going. Today's episode, um, we're going to bring you a week in this week in surf news, again with us, with my co-host, Scott Bass of Down the Line Radio. But before Scott and I actually get into our conversation, which mainly consists of kind of the new ASP and um, what's going on with the contest that's currently taking place on the Gold Coast and this amazing women's uh, Roxy Pro that, we're, that we've been watching the last couple of days. Before we get into that stuff, we have a really, really great opportunity to hear from a, a local San Diego surfer named Johnny Kessel, who just survived this incredibly harrowing experience on uh, this past Sunday, just three days ago, um, during massive uh, storm swell, kind of double to triple overhead surf that we've had here in Southern California. And um, the story involves sharks and being lost at sea and even Rob Machado makes an appearance. So not to give away too much, but um, really amazing, amazing story. And we're really, really glad that Johnny had the wherewithal, the training, and the, um, and the calmness of mind in the scenario to survive it. So glad you're here, Johnny, and um, enjoy his story. And then we'll just roll straight into Surf News with Scott Bass. So 
Thanks for listening. I'll be back at the end of the show to close us out. Thanks. <laughs> he doesn't like the all. No, he loves y'all. I do. He loves y'all. I just brother. like razzing you. Hey, down the line, Surf Talk Radio. Scott Bass. Scott Bass and uh, David Lee Scales with you here. On this uh, Tuesday, March the 4th, and um, boy, a lot of stuff going on in the surf world in 2014 early on, early on here. Um, not the least of which was this crazy storm and big swell that we had. And so before David and I uh, get into the uh, guts of the week in surf, including the Roxy Pro and the Quicksilver Pro and uh, all of the happenings around what's, what's going on in Australia, um, some, we had big surf here. And we want to talk a little bit about the big surf we had here in California, Southern California, all of California. And um, part of that was this crazy story um, that happened here in San Diego regarding a paddler. And we're lucky enough to have this um, open ocean downwind paddler with us. His name is Johnny Kessel. And Johnny, you're going to, uh, if you would please tell us a little bit uh, about, you know, what your story and what happened to you. So um, without, I'll turn this music down. Yeah, and, and I, I was just going to say. Want to get closer? Can you? Yes, yeah, start from the beginning too, because I read the okay. thing that was posted or right, that Scott right, posted right. on Facebook, but yeah. um, what was the, like, were you just going for a normal paddle? Were you training for something? What were the conditions like? Where do we start? So basically the premise is that uh, when the south wind blows, everybody starts frothing because okay. in San Diego, we just do not get like this good downwind conditions. Gotcha. So the traditional like North County Paddler crew will go run up to... You know what, it works better, John, if you just talk at okay. the computer, don't oh, okay. talk at him. Okay. So, so um, the North Pad County Paddler crew, generally what we'll do is we'll all go up together up into La Jolla and then do a run all the way from like the top of La Jolla all the way down to Cardiff or we'll just go to Torrey Pines depending on the angle of the wind. How far is that for people who are... So, Tarry Pines is around a six-mile paddle, and okay. then it's uh, more in the closer to the range of like 10, 11 when you go up into Cardiff. Okay. So, but when you go downwind, obviously you're going faster. So, right. You know, longer distances are less strenuous. It's actually more about just having a great time, really, okay. than training for anything. Gotcha. You know. So this is Friday, and you and a bunch of guys are getting ready to do this crazy downwind paddle. We've got 30-knot winds at our back. Um, and it's rare here in San Diego, as you mentioned, to have the south wind like this. So it's like, hey, let's get on it. This is unreal. Conditions don't normally come together. And these conditions came together. You can see how I'm spiking here in volume. So make sure that you speak at the same volume that I do. Okay. Don't be afraid to let it go. All right. And then what were the swell conditions, too? Were pretty pretty big that weekend, right? Yeah. This was Friday, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, we had some wind swell the day before that was kind of a mixed up swell. So we had that residual bump in the ocean. Which, you know, in general, we would think that that may be actually a good thing. Because, I mean, if you think about uh, riding bumps out in the open ocean, you want to have something to ride. So, sure. So the, the stronger the wind, the more dramatic it is, the better off you are. Obviously, the more challenging it is. So, um, you know, there's, 
there's a certain segment of our crew that like to do downward paddling, and so we just go and do it. And you know, most of the, most of the guys are kind of very experienced paddlers. Have done like the Molokai to Oahu paddle multiple times. Have done like the Catalina Classic uh, multiple times. So. I'm kind of coming in behind them and kind of learning from them. So, well, why don't we talk a yeah. little bit about that crew? Because yeah. there's George Plasek, who's yeah. um, who's like an iconic paddling figure here in North San Diego County and throughout the paddling community worldwide. Then we had Rob Machado, who's obviously no everyone knows who Rob Machado is, but they might not know that he's a great paddler and he's um, he's uh, he's an enthusiastic paddler. Right. He's a guy that does this a lot. I've done downwind paddles with Rob in Hawaii. He's, he's heavily involved with his, his very good friend, Brian Szymanski, who builds these boards, who's also a two-time Catalina Classic paddler who was on this mission on Friday as well. Then there's a couple of other stand-up paddle guys that I don't know that are like European yeah, icons. Yeah, European guys, good sup races, etc. And they just showed up kind of... You just ran into them. We just them. ran into them. Right. We weren't actually going paddling with them. It was just... It was basically us and a couple of the crew had jumped out of Torrey Pines and gone run through the surf. Okay. And we looked at that, it was intense. Like yeah. it was a mess over there. And so we just decided not the clean entry we were looking for, so we ran up to La Jolla, tried to get in at the cove, but were blocked by the lifeguards. And then kind of scooted around the back and suited up and that's when I made the decision whether I was gonna wear a leash or not. That's really what it came down to. So, do people typically wear a leash? Um, on a stand-up paddleboard, you're most likely going to find people that uh, are going to wear a leash. And okay. the reason why is because they're not as obtrusive as they are if you're on a prone board. Like, okay. Because proning, you, you're paddling like a surfboard, and then you're getting up on your knees, and then you're getting back down on your prone. I mean, it, it, it tends to get wrapped around your legs, and it's just a, a pain in the butt. And as a rule, for the most part, particularly the older boards, and I was on an older board, do not even have leash plugs in them. Okay. So the decision I made was either attach a leash to the front, to the bottle cage, or just go without. And I was looking at the conditions, and quite frankly, they look pretty buttery. So initially, I was like, no worries. My major concern was be able to keep up with them. That's really what was okay. going through my brain at the time. More like, oh, it's a gnarly, gnarly condition. Because if you look at the pictures on the blog, the the in the beginning of the panel, the conditions look great. They're yeah, kind of mellow. Yeah, you know, actually, it just you know once you got outside the kelp, things changed. the kelp and yeah. into the wind line. Uh-oh. Like all kinds of things started coming in unbuttoned, you know, and um, so, so there's the, four of you. Yeah. And you're all prone paddlers, and you're you uh, you're about to enter the water, but you run into some lifeguards, right? What happens yeah. there? So this guy comes out of the blue, basically. The lifeguards blocked us at the cove. Okay. Now we're going around the corner, and we're going to sneak through uh, this little slot in in between the rocks over there. And uh, he comes out of his truck, and he says, "Well, I'm sorry." He kind of looked at it a little dejected, actually. He was like almost sad to try and stop us from doing it because you know. We, he, he looked at us, he saw Rob. Well, that's he what I was going to say. That's what Rob, I was going to say. Right? As soon as he saw Rob, so he was like, oh, he was shit, like yeah. okay, you guys are legit. All right, okay, just go ahead and do it. And, yeah. uh, okay, and we ran down the beach and we just jumped in and went through the, the dry headed, basically. Uh, it was really cool. Wow. Uh, so, we start the paddle and um, everything's great. We've got this routine that we have, like every five minutes or so, we start regrouping because. When you're out there paddling and you're catching these bumps, there's 
it's not like a routine paddle where you kind of staying together and chatting and you know you may be like fully aware of everybody when you're riding bumps you actually it's as if you're surfing out in the open ocean hmm. so you, you can, can be easily, behind somebody yeah, 50 100 yards boom like that just by catching one bump and you're off and your guys so there's gotcha. a there's a 50 to 100 yard give and take constantly and then you add to Johnny's situation that you've got three guys that ride bumps really well Yep. And and a guy like myself or Johnny maybe not as good as picking up the bump, so we're naturally going to be left behind. And the general, um, what all these paddlers do all the time is wait for everyone to kind of catch up, and then you go again every five minutes. Yeah, or so. yeah, gotcha. And it's am I interrupting no, enough? No, not at all. I'm, I'm good at it. <laughs> I'm trying so to keep it. Condensed. Yeah, yeah. So it's logical. It's kind of it makes sense. It's mm-hmm. just the way it's been done for these guys have been paddling for a long time. Um, since I've been doing it for the last four or five years it's just this is how it gets done gotcha. so i've never it wasn't even a, an issue so um we're getting closer to scripps pier and the conditions are starting to get like pretty severe like you know i'm from south africa and i was in the navy and i did a lot of like ocean stuff and this was blowing hard it was blowing hard like to the point where the last stop that i made with brian was I think we should paddle closer to the shore, is what he said to me. How far were you from shore? At least a mile. So can you see land? You could just barely see the outline of the the cliffs. Okay. So you're, you're, as the crow flies, I'm probably, if I had to go with the swell, I'm a few miles at least to get to shore, right? Gotcha. Directly off, off the coast, I'm about a mile, mile and a half. Sure. It's hard to tell. But you can tell what direction the coast is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can still see the coast. And we were concerned that it was going to go completely white out. Right. Because if you turned around and you were getting water blasters, if somebody had a water cannon. I mean, oh, it was wow. just Yeah. Like, it was white. You could see, like, you know, storms that you see out in there. I mean, this is what it was like. It was gusting to, like, 50 miles an hour and plus. Wow. So, it was insane. So, Brian, I never see a concerned look on his face. And he had a concerned look. And he's normally extremely patient, like... Anybody who's paddling with him, he's always very attentive to, like, where you're at and all that. But in conditions like this, it's, if they're out there to have fun, you got to go catch some bum. Yeah. You know, we just assume that we're going to find each other. So, then it happened. So, plot point number two. Mm. It happened. What's it? So, so you're by yourself. I'm, I'm by myself. I, I don't see them. They're kind of running off, like, ran off a little bit. Rob was actually a little bit further out than I was at the time. And I see him come flying down on a bump and then disappear into the haze, basically, is what happened. And then I get rolled. Uh, basically, a side chop comes, and I try to catch it, and I get rolled over. And prone paddle boards, they're narrow, and they marginally unstable. This just happened to be a fairly stable one, but from, from, a, from a, just a general standpoint... like Relative to a surfboard, they're very tippy. Yeah. They, they'll just if uh, you know when I first got on them and I've been surfing for a long time they, I just flipped right off them even wow. on my stomach so so it's easy for you to to flip right off well I rolled got back on paddled a bit rolled again got back on at this point in time those guys are taken off right because yeah. no one fell I was the only one falling and when you fall it takes you ten or fifteen or twenty seconds to like recoup you know get back on your board start paddling again and then you fall again and you drop another 20 seconds or so back and then 
I've suddenly lifted up, the tail of my board gets lifted up and I literally get pile driven into the water like past my bottle cage which is on the front all the way to the center and get flipped over. So I go pitch poling like a, like mm -hmm. a sailboat. And just from the fact that my board had you know, buried the nose into the water, it got flipped over. And so by the time I got up, I couldn't hold on to it. And by the time it got up, it had, um, it was about 10 feet away from me. So it kind of caught, the wind caught it essentially when it went upright? Yeah. And blew yeah. it? Also the, the fact that it sprung yeah. Yeah. off the, you know, sometimes you'll lose your surfboard, the same thing will happen or kind of spring away and sure. you have to go and get it, right? So in this case, no leash, it's 10 feet away. So I immediately start stroking after it and it immediately gets picked up by the wind and because of its shape, it's kind of rounded and it, it turned sideways to the wind and it just started spinning. No. Basically like a barrel. It just rolled away and then went airborne as it hit a bump and just started spinning in midair and just was I was like, this thing weighs thirty pounds. This is not this is not like Brian Shabansky's on this hollow NCP you know stock race. Stay the board. art the thing super is just light. Like yeah, super this board's light. older and heavier and it's gone. It's tumbleweeding and it's see you later. It's in midair and it's gone. Fifty knot you know, fifty mile an hour gust taking it. And you're sitting there, Johnny. And, and what's going through your mind now? You, you don't have a board. You're lost. You're not lost at sea, but you're at sea by yourself right. with, with just you and your conscience. So I'm reliving it right now. Actually, <laughs> yeah. So it's like I'm sitting in the water. I've got um, my initial reaction is like expletive, expletive. I'm in trouble, basically. Yeah. Right. That's my that's my initial thought. And so. I start to weigh up all the, the various options. I'm looking around me, and it doesn't look good. I look towards the shore. It doesn't look good. I'm looking at my board going away. And okay. So I decide immediately that I'm not going off of my board. I'm, uh, the four strokes, the five strokes, the sprints that I took to try and go after my board already elevated my heart rate to such a point where I was already starting to feel like, like if I continue to do this, like it's going to take me a while to recover. And... Last thing I want is your heart rate to be elevated like that for an extended period of time because that's when you start gulping water and like everything just goes south from there. So, in I've been, you know, in the point where where I was starting to um, be very concerned, and obviously I decided that. Um, I need to see, and hopefully that board will come flying by Brian or Rob, and they'll see it cartwheeling by, and then they'll grab it, and Rob will dump his stand-up and get on, on the prone board and paddle it back up when, because, you know, those guys are mutant paddlers. They could paddle yeah. it easily back up when. So, ultimately, I shouted out, like, a few times to see if anybody would hear me, and crickets, hmm. other than the wind... There was nothing there. I mean, it was basically the wind and the waves slapping and everything, and it was blowing hard at that point. So I decided that, they, you know, within 60 seconds, I decided that I'm going to need to make moves towards the shore. That was just the only way that I could do it. It was like, um, you know, I could either wait around in a black wetsuit on the black ocean, it was white capping, um, and wait for somebody to fly a helicopter out there, it wouldn't would have happened. I was thinking, okay, how long is it going to take a boat to get out here from San Diego Bay? How long is it going to get the 
the rib to get out of Del Mar Beach and down here, it's going to take an hour. I would think that it would take over an hour if they could even get there. I mean, at that, you know. Right. So I just started swimming. Well, when you made the decision to start swimming towards the beach, what was your kind of percentage in your head of survival at that point? Did you feel confident you'd make it to the beach or was there any doubt? I I had like my, I'd say for the first five minutes or so, there was, I wouldn't say there's doubt because... I didn't like say I'm not going to make it, but I'm saying I'm going to have to put my head in this place and keep it there because if I don't, I won't make it. The moment you have doubt creeping yeah. in, that's when you... That's when yeah. I was... I could not doubt myself. Like, I had to say, like, okay, I'm going to live for the next 10 minutes and I'm going to I'm gonna count strokes. And that's what I did when I do, like, distance paddles. When I start to hurt, the first thing I'll do is start counting strokes. Hmm. 20, 20, 20. And in this case, I did 20 crawl, and then I did 40 breaststroke, and then I did this combat swim thing on your side, on the one side, and then one minute of combat swim on the other side, and then 20. And basically, every 10 minutes, I'd revisit okay. like what the story was. And Was there any way to tell if you're making progress towards shore? There was no like stationary object that could guarantee me that I was making progress and that was really my biggest concern like am I just being sucked out to, to sea I mean that's really what it comes down yeah. to like, like I, I passed numerous like kelp paddies one actually had a bird on it that had just landed trying to keep itself from getting blown away I think and it was just I couldn't tell if the kelp paddy was getting blown out to sea and I was just stationary and swimming against like a two or three knot current and I was just going to stay in the same place for the next three hours yeah so well it's important to yeah. note too that that where Johnny is by himself swimming is is basically right on top of the La Jolla Canyon the Black Beach Canyon which is about two miles deep it's the gnarliest canyon in Southern California that's why you know canyon surfboards it's the it's what makes Black Beach waves so great and so there's an insane amount of freaky current there and a lot of creatures there, you know. And so you're about 20 minutes into your swim or whatever it is into your swim. Yeah. And then what do you see? So I'm swimming and I take a breath on a breaststroke and right in front of me is shark fin comes up. And it's about 50 feet away. And in that visibility wasn't great, but I could see it was swimming towards me, directly at me. And of course that, like... So you see oh, shark fin, yeah, that freaks me really, out. Really? So I just try and immediately determine, like, what kind of shark it is. That's yeah. the whole, you know what I mean? There's lots of different kinds of sharks in San Diego, and not, not all of them are going to take a chunk out of me, you know what I mean? So I wanted to make sure that, uh, like, it was, uh, I was ready to take it on, I'll be honest with you. At that point in time, I think it has, there's some physiological thing that happens to you when you put in a situation of life or death like all the ancillary nonsense that you worry about or that you pay attention to just seems to go away and you get right. this like tunnel vision so it's just me i don't know what else to rely on so if this thing's coming at me what am i going to do let it take me like i'm going to give it as like, i was ready to do that and as it came towards me about 10 feet away it turned away and i saw there was a blue shark I was like, oh, okay. But it was a good size one too. I mean, they they get pretty big. So, but they don't eat Freaky. human beings for the most part, from what I knew anyway. Crazy. Anyway, so, 
And so from then on out, I'm swimming, but I'm keeping my eyes open, and I'm, you know, I'm looking behind me because looking behind, actually looking behind you, you know, can be the most freaky thing ever. Because when you turn around, what you're looking at is kind of the water is fairly smooth because the wind's blowing in the direction that you're at. Mm -hmm. When you turn around, all that bump and all the wind and all the chop, it looks much more ominous. And, you know, I was turning around just to make sure nothing was following me at that point in time. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. So I'm struggling for about 30 minutes or so going directly towards the beach. And then I decided I'm going to turn downwind because I was really getting totally slapped. Okay. I mean, it was like swimming and I, the waves were slapping around. I was burning a lot of energy. So I decided to go downwind. Okay. And that helped a lot, helped my emotional state. Because I felt like I was making progress, even though obviously, like I said, I was still concerned that I was actually not at uh, making progress, but other things were just floating by me. Um, and then looking at the uh, cliff started to get closer. Wow. Yeah, and I was actually, uh, and because I was going northeast, I was going side onto the cliff, um, then I was really encouraged. Like okay. at the point where where I knew the cliff was getting closer, I was you're like, I'm making progress. Make yeah, it. you're making progress, yeah. so that feels good. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, when you realize you're making progress, that's the most dangerous time because what you do is you get over-enthusiastic and you like start trying to swim harder towards the shore because now I'm making progress. But who knows? I could have gotten an hour into the swim and the whole thing could have turned around again and pushed me back out to sea. Sure. So I had to keep myself from overextending and I was just like nauseatingly slow so so you you eventually you made it to yeah. the surf line um, at at Torrey Pine State Beach more or less sort of yeah. blacks the south end of blacks yeah and you're about to get you're about to get onto the shore and then what happens to you so I show up I go through the kelp and I come through and, and I and obviously I get pulled right into this like massive rip so you get waves, dumped into a rip there's current. There's huge waves breaking there, and there's huge waves breaking there, and I get stuck right in the only rip that's going out. So I had to swim across the rip and get into the waves and the body surf to the shore, and I was just like, I got out of the ocean right next to this big flat rock that's in there. Yeah, were two yeah. people standing on the rock looking at me as if I was insane. Like, they were like, what, did you go for a swim? I went, yeah, kind of. <laughs> wow. I was like, yeah, it's all good. I just lost my board out there and I had to swim in. And they were like, oh, do you need a ride anywhere? I'm like, no. They're the guys that I went with. And I saw Rob who had somehow seen me. Oh, uh, no, sorry. He had seen somebody walking down the beach in black that he thought may have been me, but it wasn't. And then I came around the corner behind and I put up my arms and he was on the beach walking. Yeah. Had they so they realized that you were missing at some point? Oh yeah, so they sat out there for twenty minutes waiting for me. Oh my gosh! Yeah, they th ultimately thought that either I paddle by, which is high in those conditions, it could have been I, I may have just taken a different line, and they just didn't ever see me, or um, I was in trouble, and they made the right choice to paddle straight to shore and get the lifeguards on it. So oh, okay. the thing is that it took them another, you know fair amount of time to get to the shore. They had to paddle you know, a few miles at least to get to shore, probably another four miles just to get to shore. And then they got on the phone with um, Mark, who's the deputy chief at Del Mar. Okay. 
and um, and he was like, okay, where was he? You know, he went through the hole. And then he called San Diego, and they were mustering a boat, and he was going to send the rib out from San Diego. And then they saw me. Okay. So they were organizing a team that hadn't yet launched. They hadn't yet, uh, like, engaged. And wow. He, you know. And eventually they picked up your board, right? The, they got into the, the rigid, hauled, yeah. inflatable boat that yeah. the Delmar lifeguards use. They saw your board floating and spinning and getting taken by the wind. They went out there and tried to grab it. And, of course, it was still tumbling like a tumbleweed at them, so it took them numerous attempts to sort of corral the, the paddleboard into their boat. How long was the total time, do you think, from when you lost your board till you made it to shore? Uh, 80 minutes. 81 oh, wow. minutes. 81 minutes of swimming. Mm-hmm. Crazy. <laughs> well, that's a great story. I know um, the takeaway from all of this, of course, John, uh, Johnny's got a great website, paddleathlete.com, paddleathlete.com, and the story's on there. And, and um, I think, you know, what's the, what's the big takeaway here from this, from this experience? So never assume um, that you're gnarly enough to handle whatever's going to hit you. You need to be prepared no matter what. No matter what has happened to you in the past, no matter what are your previous experiences and nothing's ever happened to you and you're pretty comfortable in, in those places and you've done it a hundred times, always have um, the sense to to uh, expect the, the worst. And I'm not saying load your board up with uh, massive amounts of safety gear and flares and all that stuff, but just do the bare minimum. Like The bare minimum for me would wear a colored, cut off over the top of my wetsuit like something that was visible from the from the air yeah wear a leash i mean how difficult would have that i mean that would have basically taken this whole situation wouldn't even have existed yeah you know if i'd worn a leash and um and i think pro i think prone paddlers in general are kind of come from the surfing world and the whole purpose of Paddling to begin with was to prepare them for big surf, you know. Mm-hmm. So the concept of wearing a leash when you've been surfing Waimea Bay at 30 feet is kind of yeah. ridiculous. Right. You know what I mean? And so that's where the culture comes from. So right. that's my answer to your question. All right. Well, yeah. crude, great story. I'm glad you could come by and tell us. I appreciate you swinging you. by. Um, glad you made it, man. Yeah, Johnny. That's uh, harrowing. Uh, you're, you're back and you're good. And... Um, you fully recovered? See you in the water. You will see me in the water. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Thanks, John. Take care. Cool. So, um, interesting story. I'm glad we got the first person account there. Of that. Yeah, great story. That Jeez. Yeah. Freaky stuff, man. Um, let's see. Where do you want to start the rest of the show, um, well, David? Well, my name's David Scales, surfsplendorpodcast.com, on social media, at surfsplendor. Simulcasting this with your show, Scott. Yeah. So, um, we got a lot to catch up on. I mean, I know, last I, I know. Do you want to start with the swell here and the Well, we got it's a good yeah. segue. I mean, I'm sure that the swell that we were just talking about um that that experience took place in during Stormageddon as Southern California news media has Stormageddon. Stormageddon, massive it. swell. Um uh Surfline actually just posted um, a featured article on it last night. Yeah, the title is SoCal Pumps. Yeah. So you can see lots of photos. For all the listeners, we'll post links to that on our websites. And you can see the photos that uh, came out of this swell. But a lot of rain, too. So all of the runoff has been funneled into the ocean. So the water's all brown and disgusting. And 
and uh, hepatitis filled, but the waves are also pumping. So if you're willing to brave the infection, you'll get good waves, you know. Um, you know, here's my notes on it is that um, this first and foremost, the swell came up in the middle of the day really quickly from small surf Saturday morning to the San Nicolas buoy was 20 feet at 14 seconds at around 11 o'clock in the morning, which is about two hours away. And by midday and all afternoon, it was absolutely huge here in San Diego. And um, uh, Richard Kenvin made an interesting insight on Facebook about this, which I thought was really uh, worthy, which was, you know, that cyclone that spun right off the coast that created these waves was in a position uh, such that for the first time in a long time, Point Conception didn't have the opportunity to shadow the swell energy. So we got a lot of raw and strong and powerful swell without that shadowing, without that filtering, which doesn't happen very often. So um, it was a, a, a definitely a major swell event here in San Diego. And Swami's was as big as I've surfed it since, um, you know, 1983, the El wow. Nino year of 1983. And um, it was massive, and it was purely um, a matter of luck if you made it out or not. You know, there's that first line of defense of that, that powerful whitewater. If you can get through that and get to the so-called channel, you're more or less safe unless you ride the wave too far. And so getting out through that first line of defense, um, I, had, I had actually given up. And somehow or another, things let up for half a second, and I got I got in a rip, and I was like, oh, I do have a chance, and I just powered through it and got out, luckily, yeah. you know. Yeah. And there were many surfers that um, that are better, you know, quote-unquote water per people than me that didn't have that dumb luck that I had and didn't couldn't make it out and tried and tried and tried. And it was uh, enormous, and La Jolla Cove broke, which here in San Diego, that's a definite sign that, you know, we've got major swell. And, right. Um, it was a it was a definite, you know, big wave swell event. Big Saturday, they're calling it. So big Saturday here in San Diego, March first, twenty fifteen. Yeah. And I'm up in Orange County, Huntington Beach, and um, it's just open ocean there. You know, and and uh, beach break too. So when the waves are that big, it's too big to even surf. You have to go find a nook and cranny. Um, but there's a couple spots just north of Orange County, South LA County. Long Beach specifically, which has a big break wall, wall uh, and it's a basically a harbor that rarely ever breaks. It's normally flat and dormant in there, but on this swell, it was actually head high, super good, super fun, and um, and that might have to do with the north with the point conception thing that you were talking about, not blocking that specific direction. Little waves sneak in there and kind of refract off a jetty and. And it was actually really, really good. So everywhere else was not surfable around my house. And that spot was pumping, you know, and not a lot of guys out. Yeah. So got to surf some different novelty waves, which is cool. Very cool. What's going on, though? Recap. Uh, last episode, you were talking about your malaise and, and lack of motivation to surf <laughs> and relating it to Jason Bort's blog of how surfing ruined my life. Yes. Are you still in that funk or what? No, I mean, something about, you know... 12 to 15 foot waves that, you know, I'm, I've been excited. I've caught some of the greatest waves I've caught in a long time this last weekend. So good. I'm not Snap. in that funk. I'm, I'm excited to be in the water and good. And quite frankly, and this may be our segue, but watching the snapper event has got me excited to ride my little shred WCT model. And, um, I'm, I've been very inspired by the surfing I've been seeing and I'll be 
brutally honest and tell you I'm extremely inspired by some of the girls surfing. And I, I'm blown away, quite frankly, yeah. by the level of the women surfing. And I'm, you know, I've been in the past, I've been the guy that's like, oh, whatever, you know, let's, we really just want to see Kelly and Mick Fanning go at it, you know, and the girls are good, yeah, whatever, but, but I, I will backpedal a little bit and just tell you that I'm just so impressed by Carissa Moore. Um, she's truly uh, just a, a, a notch above um, a lot of guys. I mean, she's surfing incredible. I think that there's, I agree with you that the women's surfing yesterday was all time. Um, there's two, maybe three girls that are light years ahead of the other girls. Uh, Carissa Moore, without a doubt. Steph Gilmore's right there. And right kind of just below them is Courtney Conlog in my mind. I would throw Malia Manuel in there, too. See, I'm not necessarily on board. Malia surfed really well on a couple waves, yeah. but she doesn't have the consistency. Yeah. There's been times, like when she won the U.S. Open, where I thought, wow, she is on par with Carissa. Yeah. But on a heat-to-heat basis, she doesn't bring that same level, you know? You know, you you mentioned Steph Gilmore, and you're right. Steph Gilmore and Chris Moore. This is a this is a a rivalry that the ASP would be smart to nurture. This I don't want an, an artificial rivalry, but I think there's got to be a true rivalry here. Mm-hmm. And 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 even with Courtney and and there's some other girls that are really fired up, like Lakey Peterson. They just seem to be really um, uh, competitive. I I agree, and we saw a new rivalry perhaps start yesterday among the Goofy Footers. Uh, Bianca Butendog from South Africa, and then um, Alessa Quazon from Hawaii. Yeah, they both had a heat together, and they were shredding. Bianca got the better of the exchange. She's six foot one, super powerful, but like amazing yeah. backhand surfer. So that was cool. I think they're both rookies too. Alessa is for sure. You know, it, it almost seems like the the bandwagon to get on right now is like, oh yeah, the women's tour is insane. But it is kind of insane. Like, I I just tuned in yesterday just because the waves looked like they were going to get good. And I was like, yeah, the waves will be good. And I'll do some work and I'll watch the webcast. And what and I yeah. wasn't really, like, keyed up to watch it. But I was truly found myself going, wow, the, Carissa Moore is mind-blowing. You know, she, that one heat she had where, you know, she yeah. had a 19-point whatever. She really just was, it was fun to watch her surf. And it was inspiring. It inspired me to go try to shred, get my shred on at That's my local funny. little beach break. Yeah. Break but, out your two piece. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I didn't, didn't break out the two piece, but I will say this, that it seems to me that Steph Gilmore, and maybe this is because it's the quote unquote Roxy pro, but it seems like they're pushing Steph Gilmore, uh, a little bit too overtly. Like they have already anointed her as the world champion. And, and, you know, like if you look at the ASP press release today that came out, it's like, I think the title was quarter finalists decided at the Roxy pro. And then the next paragraph was like, Steph Gilmore had a great, but truly anyone that watched the event yesterday knows that the story and the press release, the title should have been all about Carissa Moore, basically throwing down the gauntlet, setting such a high mark for the other girls to try to get to. Yesterday was about Carissa Moore. It was not about Steph Gilmore. And the ASP press release should not lead off with Steph Gilmore. And I know that the ASP is like, Steph Gilmore's our gal. She's the one that's going to like push women surfing into the next millennium or the next decade, if you will. And I just think that it's... Um, 
It's just irresponsible to not yeah. put Carissa where she needs to be. I think there's a little bit of that, but I think... There's a lot of that. Well, no, but hear you me out. You see her on the webcast no, saying, no. I'm out the, to win number 14. That is true, but what I'm saying there's a little bit of is the motivation. I think the other motivation is the reality of Steph Gilmore's a five-time world champ at her home break. And, and what you're saying, I think the other thing is like, this is the... Uh, How many world titles does Carissa have? Two. Yeah, maybe two, maybe three. I don't know. Yeah, but that's not five. Right, right. It's like like when we talk about... She's the reigning world champion, though. Right, and so she got her due probably in the next paragraph, and she surfed incredibly well. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Is yes, is the story of yesterday that Steph Gilmore is the five-time world champion, and she, she deserves no. a due no matter what? No, but no What's matter... the story of No matter where, where Kelly Slater shows up, they talk about the 11-time I'm world I'm not champ. saying don't talk about Steph. I'm just saying don't lead the press release off with Steph Gilmore surfed great... She beat who? Yeah, yeah. She beat this person. I'm saying the story needs to be because because look, everyone saw what happened yesterday. The story was Carissa Moore dominated the situation. I I don't disagree at all, and I love Carissa Moore. But I'm saying because somebody surfed one or two heats, great. You know that that was the story of t- yesterday. That was the press release they put out. The press release about yeah. what happened yesterday. Sure. What happened yesterday is that Carissa Moore dominated. Sure. Steph didn't look all that solid. She had some good heats, some good waves, but there was moments where there was one heat where she was sort of out of rhythm. I'm surprised by how easily shaken Steph is, actually. She was even saying she was nervous in one of the heats. And it's like, you're the five-time world champ. You shouldn't be nervous. And you have the ability to trounce the best of them. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. The other story that I think got overshadowed, though, was Courtney Conlog. Did you see that heat where she got that insane barrel? Yeah. And she got a 9 I think she had a 9.5 and a 9.7 or something, almost as good as Carissa's. Um, I don't think that she has the, uh, the variety in surfing that Carissa has, and she's all power base. She blows tail occasionally, but... 
she's always kind of stiff-legged on everything, whereas Carissa's a little bit more nimble and rubber band-like. So, but Courtney, I mean, I think she is amazing. And if she can find that flexibility in her surfing, she can contend with Steph Gilmore and 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 Carissa. And I agree. And I'll tell you this, that I'm truly looking forward to the, the quarterfinals of the women's draw. Like, yeah. I, I sincerely am excited about it. And it reminds me of women's tennis a few years back when it was, you know... Um, you know, whoever there was some just some great rivalries. Maybe the the Williams sisters and um, Monica Sellis or whoever it was. I just remember women's tennis was really fun to watch because it was so competitive. And it and I sent I seem to be getting that way. Like I I'm blown away that I'm excited to watch the quarterfinals. Yeah. At, at Snapper, it seems like a great way for the girls to really display what they have. It too. does. The other note that I that I have about watching it was that their post heat interviews are far more entertaining than the men. Like, I had it on mute a couple times because I was working, and once they show their face, I turn the volume up, and it's, first of all, they're beautiful to look at. You know, Malia Manuel or uh, Alyssa Quazon, when they come on, they're just absolutely cute, gorgeous, and it's like, wow. And then I turn the volume up and listen to them talk. They're super well-spoken. They're articulate. They're excited. They're giddy with excitement, which is something that you don't see from the men that often. Um... Courtney Conlog, I'll say again, her post-heat interview when she got that barrel in the couple of nines, she was giddy like a grom. And like, I can't wait. I'm going to go home. I'm going to watch surf videos tonight. And I'm going to get frothed out. And I'm going to wake up early tomorrow morning. And she was giggly. She couldn't contain it. And she's usually one who's a little bit more pragmatic and like reserved and athletic-like. But she couldn't contain her froth from getting barreled at Snapper, you know? So I just thought that that was something that will go a long way for the women surfing, that enthusiasm that they express. And Lakey Peterson said, that was the most beautiful time I've ever spent in an ocean anywhere, where her competitor was on the ski getting pulled out the back, so she was the only person in the lineup. That was the last heat of the day. So she goes, I looked at the rocks, and Mick Fanning was standing there, waiting to paddle out. I was at Snapper by myself. The men's world champ can't even paddle out. She's like, that was the most beautiful moment I've ever had in the ocean. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, that's a huge call. But she's right. It was. The sun was kind of going down. It was amazing, you know? She's obviously never surfed Cardiff Reef. I can... <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> well, good for her. Yeah. What else do you got? Um, Quick Pro? Quicksilver Pro? Yeah. Um, Jordy Smith is sort of the big story, right? Yeah. He got eliminated. He was upset by Thiago Perez. Uh-oh. Dog's trying to chime in on the show. Hey. Who do we got here joining for oh, a new my, interview? That's my wife. Come right. here. Come here. So, um, like I was saying, uh, Jordy Smith, Tiago Perez surfed incredible. Don't worry about the chair. I just broke Scott's chair, by yeah, the way. It happens. We've got all sorts of stuff. Dogs barking, chairs breaking. Um, Tiago Perez, to me, looked, uh, you know, incredible. Like, really, hey, hey, get over here. Really on form. So um, I was pretty excited See, about watching Tiago. That's funny that you say that. I felt like he did a couple good turns. There and, a couple turns that were sick. Yeah. And uh, and he deserved to win that heat without a doubt. But his surfing is so uninspiring to me that I just, I was so bummed to see him take out Jordy. And Jordy blew it, of course. Jordy waited forever for a set wave that never came. So Tiago deserved to win. But watching Tiago, it was like... Good God, please don't win this heat. I don't want to watch you surf in the next round. Really, I was so impressed by his style, and I'm I believe me, I'll be the first one that to to sort of poo-poo any non 
American surfer. You of know, course, like, yeah. Uh, you know, I look for the flaw. I can see the flaws quicker than most. But um, Tiago, I thought, looked so sharp, and I was very impressed with his style. And he, he looked like some uh, a surfer that I'd like to see move on through the next round. And Wow. Yeah. I, and believe me, it surprised me. But yeah. there was a couple turns that he did where I was like, wow, those are yeah. pretty sharp, you know? He's always had those turns. He just doesn't often hit them, you know? Yeah. He always had the ability... I will say one thing about Tiago's surfing that I notice, um, just in terms of board design, I'm watching him surf on the wave, and it's like, well, he's obviously riding a pintail. And he gets out of the water, and you look, and he is. And it's just that really round style of turning. Everything, it's like a you could draw a circle. If you followed his path with a pen on the TV, it would just be this circular, never a straight moment in his, or a sharp talked about in the past Sonny Garcia just kind of thumping the tail when he yeah. does that turn yeah. there's none of that with Tiago surfing it's so round and that's what you get out of that pintail design you know there's no sharp moments in your motion well uh, that's interesting insight and I'm okay with that I love smooth and of course round. And, yeah uh, I guess the other upset well the definitely the other upset right is John John Florence totally yeah John John Florence got taken out by yeah. Travis Logie. Right? Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. As you know, uh, Travis Logie is sort of a champion killer. I mean, he's he's lethal. He, he's a guy that you don't want to draw in your heat. He's, yeah. he's got tons of experience on tour. He's a veteran. He's taken out the best. He has no fear about He's not a guy that goes, oh, no, I got Kelly in my heat. He's like, bring it. Let's yeah. do this. And um, he proved that he can do it again. And he was a guy I always toy with on my fantasy team, and I – I took him off of my team before this event. Obviously, I'm disappointed about that. Um, but uh, John John Florence, you know, there's a lot to be said for if you don't move on in the first event, what it means for your uh, your chances of winning a world title this year. That, I'm sure you heard perhaps Martin Potter and those guys talking about how important it is to, to not have this event be a throwaway mm-hmm. from the standpoint of momentum going into the rest of the Australian leg and, and just moving forward. I mean... You're basically down an event. Everyone else is up an event, you know. Right. And so, uh, you know, I think a lot of us would love to see John John Florence win a world title, and, and now he's dug himself a bit of a hole. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I think it's you also don't want to hinge everything on your first performance. Shake it off, move on. John John's got unbelievable talent and a long time ahead. I'd be bummed out if he really put too much weight on that one loss, you know? He'll well, be right. It seemed as if Jordy Smith put a lot of weight on that loss. He's he's a guy that, as the announcers mentioned, he's had this, you know, best to best to not win a world title sort of moniker placed on him. And, um, you know, the swing and the miss at the surfboard that you sent me, which was, everyone noticed that, you know, the, the, what a great moment. You yeah, know? basically after he lost his heat, he held his board up to punch it and just kind of missed completely, and yeah. it's hilarious. It is hilarious. Yeah, so I posted that on Instagram. Follow at Surf Splendor if you want to see that little video bit. It's super um, it's funny. awkward, you know. It's an awkward well, moment. He could have hurt his shoulder. I mean, he swung as hard as he could and missed. Yeah, yeah. And then Felipe Toledo lost his heat against Mitch Cruz, and at the end uh, tried to, like, stomp on his board to put his foot through it in frustration as well. And I think that those two instances are moments that are kind of embarrassing when you, in turn, look at the women. And I was using that example of how excited they are just to be surfing snapper. And then you got these guys who are acting like children when they lose. You know, it's a, I don't know, there's a little bit of a, a, a dichotomy there. Yeah. Well, it's embarrassing. 
It is a little bit embarrassing. Brett Simpson, I noticed, had same uh, similar little flare-up. And, uh, yeah, you're right. A little bit embarrassing, and maybe we're showing our true colors as as the uh, male gender. Let me... Um there, we got to do a little bit more ASP talk just because there is the new change in the ASP or there's a number of new changes. Do you have any thoughts on the good versus the bad of the first event that we well, had so far? Well, the first thing I'll tell you is that this this photographic ban that the ASP put out a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week, and um, uh, they basically said, look, if you're taking photos on our space... We have the rights to those photos. We can use them whenever we want, and we're not going to pay you. And obviously, uh, it lit up a, a bit of a firestorm amongst the photographers who are used to, you know, year after year after year getting a media pass and having um, the rights to those images for them to sell. And, not, and it's that how they make a living. And Peter Jolie Wilson um, put a little blog out about how this is just crap. They can just walk up and ask for your media card anytime, and you have to hand it over. And well, let's clarify real quick. Yeah, they can't take anybody's. It's if you, if you ask them for a media pass for the event, and they issue the media pass, that's part of the agreement. Is that they have rights to your photos. Right. So if you're just there as a spectator on the beach shooting a photo, they don't have the right to come commandeer your media card. Well, and and I guess that begs the question. How do you determine who's who? Like, if they have this... a media pass around their neck, right? Well, then why would you get a media pass? Exactly. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe the yeah <laughs> the, the applications for media passes drop severely. Yeah. Well, I think that um, I want to back up a little bit and talk about the ASP at large because I feel like there's all this debate of of uh, and it's easy to point fingers at kind of where their flaws are and what they're doing poorly yeah, this year. I, I, I just, as a caveat to what you're going to say, and I hope you say this, I'm sure you probably will, I think it's too early to start pointing fingers at the ASP. Let's give them until, Sean Doherty wrote a great piece about this, we need to give them a couple of events before we start pointing fingers. Now, yeah. I, I'm not saying let's not look at flaws and suggest um, areas where we think maybe they could improve, but let's give them some time to iron out the, the wrinkles. Yeah, I like that Sean Doherty piece too. I think he's a great writer. He's an awesome way. writer, and he he's, he provides great insight. The best thing about it is that you get all the insight and more that you would get from him as a commentator. Yeah, but without the fifteen second vowels. Right, right, right. Yeah, he's. I got you. I saw that post on Facebook. I know Don't you worry. did. I know you did. Look at this. Um, I think you had too much caffeine. Yeah. So let me backtrack real quick. I want to explain my understanding of the ASP and their positioning, and see if you feel the same way or if it's reality or or maybe you can steer me clear yeah um so the asp comes about you know in the 70s or whatever um association of surfing professionals yeah it was the ips okay it was fred hemming's deal there was a power struggle in 83 many okay. will tell you that the real beginnings of the of the asp was 1983 and uh ian cairns came along and and through some, I don't know how it all went down, but there was some politics involved, obviously, and some drama. But um, he wrestled professional surfing away from Fred Hemmings in 1983, and then Ian Carnes, that's when the ASP was started. But yes, professional surfing in its modern form started in 76. And for the most part, it struggled to find a solid revenue stream and to be profitable, right? More or less? Yeah. Okay. And so... Part of their model for doing so is 
partnering up with the big five surf brands, right? In the past, that's where the revenues were from. Were so from, Quicksilver yeah. sponsors an event, puts up prize money, pays for the uh, broadcast. Now it's a webcast, essentially. But they front all the money. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah. and so the prize money has always been dependent upon those brands, which are then in turn sponsoring the surfers as well. And the ASP is beholden to those companies, essentially. Yeah, right? basically. So it's a really, um, a really, it's a model, a business model that is designed for potential corruption, essentially, and potential when it comes to judging the sport supposedly unbiasedly. You yeah. know, it sets yeah. itself up for a lot of failure. So in a mission to kind of um, make it more mainstream and make it less political, Zozi has gotten involved in recent years and they bought the ASP for zero dollars but with the goal of making it profitable and then everybody wins, right? Yes. So this is the first year that Zozi is involved. and It's the second year, but it's the first year of their... Their new... Their here we are, this is the new ASP. And in the past, the guys who have kind of run the ASP, guys like you named, probably did it out of a passion project more than it was a getting rich scheme. You know what I mean? Because there wasn't a lot of money involved. So part of Zozi's method is like, hey, let's hire these... Uh, proven execs with a lot of experience from other industries, bring them in, and we will make this a profitable business. Correct? Yeah. Okay. So this year, that mission is let's bring on non-endemic sponsors like Samsung, GoPro, somewhat endemic, but um, they will then fund this thing. We'll get real revenue dollars. We'll up the prize money. Surfers will make more money. Hopefully, the clothing companies that are sponsoring those surfers will make more money in the end. Everybody wins, right? Yeah. So in their, in that mission and in that goal, I think they're thinking, let's kind of do away with some of the normal surfer stereotypes and make this more professional looking. Let's, um, let's try to make the judging a little more objective and make it more mainstream. Let's not use curse words. Let's not use bro-isms, you know? And so I think that's what we're seeing with the commentary and what we're going to see with a lot of the backlash to the ASP is going to come from the main core base who's been watching all along saying, hey, this is getting too vanilla, too bland. You guys are making yeah. it too mainstream. Too NFL, too uh, mainstream. You're and, and the Americanization of the sport is what you hear from a lot of Australians. Right. And you're cutting away to too many commercials, uh, which you know is a necessity, e necessary evil. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw back to that a lot because I think what we get for those commercials are, you know, um, super high quality imagery and super slow motion getting able to, being able to see Josh Kerr's club sandwich turn that he does in really high quality slow-mo over and over again. That's the trade-off. And so as we continue to have this conversation about the ASP and the pros and cons that are coming out of Zozi's involvement, we're going to have to realize that there are very real uh, benefits that we get out of it for whatever cons are involved. But I also think that there is a legitimate complaint in the commentary is super vanilla, super bland. They're making it, uh, there's no drama in the commentary. If you watch the NFL, NBA, the ML, uh, the Major Baseball, uh, Major League Baseball, the UFC even, you know, it's like the commentators are allowed to criticize the athlete's technique and even the judging technique. It's not so vanilla. Yeah, I would I, I would suggest to you that I think that they're I think that early on in the early rounds, 
are actually too enthusiastic about yeah. some of this stuff. Um, That's what I would agree. And, They're blowing sunshine up everybody's Yeah, Yeah, butt. it's like everyone's going, really? Do, you know, like it's just like, oh, well, you know. So I think they're being overly uh, enthusiastic, overly uh, excited about what's being presented. I think they need to hold and build up that excitement to the finals. Yeah, I agree. And, and I also agree with you that they're not being, um, and this has always been a problem, that they're not being, they don't have enough constructive criticism. Right. It's like everything everyone's doing is great, and it's right. not. No, it and, isn't. And everyone knows it, and please point out, you know, the obvious, because we all see it, you know, and that's where you get that Johnny Miller, you know, that analogy I always use that we need a Johnny Miller or a um, John McEnroe, a guy that can go in there and call it like he sees it, that is a past champion that isn't afraid to go, you know what, that was lame. Yeah. That was stupid. That was lame. That was bad. That was, you know, I'm sure he's upset with himself and not with malice. You know, we don't need like that Lewis Samuels vibe you know we're not out to be like sophomore 24 year olds you know but we just want some professional broadcasting i mean if a guy trips and falls in a football game the announcer goes that guy's an idiot you know totally and that's what and we need drama and i mean that's what makes commentary interesting and these just kind of blowing sunshine up everybody and just narrating what's happening on the waves isn't entertaining enough when you're watching the webcast you want to have somebody being critical and perhaps uh, the two commentators having opposite opinions on who they think is the better surfer. That's where the value is. They need us. They, they do need David us. and Scott. I think, yeah, <laughs> let's send in our resumes. Um, and, and so I think that maybe they'll make those adjustments moving forward and they recognize the failures of this first or the shortcomings of this first broadcast. But I think that even if the commentators wanted to offer those criticisms, they're afraid of losing their job probably because... We saw Damian Farrenfort and Jake Patterson lose their jobs at the Quick Pro France when they criticized the judging, you know, in that event last year. So I think everybody's kind of sitting on the edge of their seats trying to just do the right thing right now. Yeah. And it's it's providing yeah. a kind of bland vanilla experience. Yeah. Everyone's got a new boss. They don't know how yeah. to deal with the new boss. And that's why I say, you know, let's give this thing till Rio or till Tahiti to kind of see where we're at, you know. Um, they're going to rely on people like us and, and the Sean Doherty's of the world to call it like we see it. And and there's many of us out there. There's many voices. The Inertia, Surfer Magazine, Surfing Transworld, Tim Baker, uh, Stab Magazine, you know, all the Australian surfing world, all of the tracks, all of those, um, all those uh, outlets are saying the same thing that you and I are saying, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Th- that, and, and, and it's going to correct itself. You it know? And, and, and I, you know. I think in a... In terms of what they're doing right, I think that the overall look, the graphics, and all that kind of stuff looks good. You know, it looks more professional. Um, it's just a cleaner delivery of everything. The the feed has been flawless, pretty much. Some of the scoring on the right gets bogged down, and you have to refresh it again. Um, they also, I don't know if you noticed this, but on the ASP's YouTube page, they've started doing a judge's assessment at the end of each day. No, I did, did Rich, not know that. Richie Porta sits down with the... Uh, it's the morning show the following day. Richie Porta sits down and explains critical calls like the Stephanie Gilmore interference call in round one of the Roxy Pro. He sat down and explained why they made that call. So I think that's a really cool addition where in the past we said, man, how do the judges justify these calls that they're making? He's, you know, 
addressing those things. So I think that's a cool addition. Well, I won't be happy, as you know, until they initiate that, um, you know, I don't know what we would call it, but the um, the judges in the blind, if you will, where yeah. the judges are not allowed to know what the surfer needs to advance. They, they need to be um, in a cone of silence. And I think that would do a lot to alleviate some of the, um, you know, online or in the surf media to eliminate that um what's the word i'm looking for yeah i agree just their um their elimination of knowing what scores need to be yeah. gathered before they score this ride yeah to eliminate some of the um unneeded um criticism that they might be getting you know yeah. like if we know they don't know then we can't really criticize them you know totally yeah um a couple of other things um I want to keep this in mind as we move forward through the event and through future events too. I'm concerned about the ASP getting too bland and too vanilla. And one thing that Martin Potter kept saying was Seabass, for example, would go for a huge turn or John John did that huge layback that he fell on that cost him the heat. And, And Martin Potter would say he needs to tone it down. He just needs to surf at 75% to get through this heat. Martin Potter's assessment is correct. But my concern is, do we want to watch an event where guys are surfing at 75% to get through heats? Well, I think that they're going to be surfing good, hard rail turns. I think what they're saying is, is save the aerials for the semis when you really need them. You know, save the big layback for when you really need it. Now, John John probably really needed that. Do we want to encourage that type of surfing? Well, I don't think we're encouraging. I don't think Martin Potter's encouraging. I don't think the surfers are listening to what Martin Potter's saying. But, um, you know, 75 per, a 75% round one heat with John John's pretty killer. And it would be silly of him to set the bar so high for himself that he can't outdo himself in the finals. I agree with that in theory, and I've probably promoted that in the past. I just can't you help. You want 100%, 100% of the time. I, I don't want it, but I just can't help when Potter's saying that, feeling like that is the overall vibe of the event. Is like, let's... Pull everything back from the from the exterior from the outskirts into the bell shaped curve. Do everything kind of middle of the road to get the most viewers to get uh, Procter and Gamble involved as a sponsor. Make it palatable for everybody. If you get the chance to hit that high note, go ahead and hit it occasionally. But let's just kind of keep everything tailored in the middle to keep everybody happy. That's kind of what I feel like is implied, and I don't think Potter's. In- doing that implicitly, but that's kind of the overall feel that I'm getting from it. Whereas that one turn, again, that club sandwich turn that that Josh Kerr did was, I mean, that's arguably 110% commitment. He landed it buttery without a a stutter in his step, and it's something that could be pulled out in the final, but he did it in round one or round two or whatever round it was. And, uh, man, that was just the highlight of the day, you know? I mean, that was unbelievable, and I, I don't see why that shouldn't be... Yeah, I know what you mean. You're, you're basically saying, look, surf for the moment. Surf like you're in a free surf. You know, why wouldn't you try that, you know, yesterday out at your local break? And if, and if you would, then why wouldn't you do it in your heat? Because we want to see the, the limits push. We want to see the barriers push. We want to see that litmus, that line very, very high, and, and that's I, valid. I also believe that, honestly... John John has the ability to pull off that layback at 100% that he actually didn't pull off. And if he did, I think that Kelly Slater 
and Gabriel Medina and the other guys are going to surf their next heat on a brand new level in a new gear that they didn't have before they saw John John do it. And that's the momentum that I want the sport to have yeah. is a new hundred percent is set every heat. Yeah. They like have the it. talent to do it. Yeah, that, that makes know? sense because it's not like, you know, your round one heat is even remembered relative four days later and when you're in the semifinals or the finals. No. And you're getting paid four million bucks a year. You should be doing that for us. Yeah, you better. Dance. Damn you. <laughs> dance, John John, dance. What else do you got? Um, well, I hate to make this an all ASP uh, conversation, but Jay Bay is back on the list. Bali, the Karamas event, is off. So Jay Bay is replacing Karamas. So that's worth noting. And I think we're excited about Jay Bay. I'm bummed that Karamas is gone, especially considering how amazing an event it was last year. You know, I, I, I thinking back on what we were talking about, giving the ASP a pass until a certain time. You and I did we do this yet? But we should we should put a cutoff point if it's Rio or whatever it is, and and do a look back at that point. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay. We should also say to the listeners, even though we just talked about the quick pro for twenty minutes, we'll do a quick pro recap of the entire event because we're just kind of hitting certain highlights right now. But there's going to be a lot more to discuss in the coming days. Uh, it's Today, actually, as we're recording this episode, they're probably going to start round three of the men's and maybe the quarterfinal of the women's. So a lot of that will have taken place by the time listeners are listening to this. So we'll recap all that in a separate episode. So what do you think about Nicolas Cage showing up at the Quicksilver Pro? Do you, do you read that that's the new ASP and all of the Hollywood connections that Paul Speaker and all these Disney execs have? All of these rich people... Uh, are they pulling? Are they pulling strings and going? You know what? Do me a favor. Roll down for a couple of hours and say hi to Kelly. No. And do you think that Kelly's getting a call from his agent going, "Hey, Nicholas Cage is going to roll down, hang out with him. We want some uh, photo ops." You don't. You do think that was an organic thing that Nicholas Cage just rolled up? I remember the U.S. Open a couple years back. Sean Penn, Pamela Anderson, like all sorts of celebrities were at that event. Just behind the scenes, it wasn't publicized or anything. And who's Nicholas Cage, by the way? I mean. I know he's did done a read, bunch of did movies. Did you read Doherty's thing? No, I didn't. Well, read Sean Doherty's thing because it's great. It's like, hey, Matthew McConaughey a couple of years ago rolled up at the uh, Snapper, the, the Quicksilver Pro. He, had, he was on a career low light having just made the movie Surfer Dude. He was basically been, you know, reduced to a D-level actor. And, you know, two days ago he won the Academy Award for Best Actor. So his thing is Nicolas Cage is sort of where Matthew McConaughey is. Nicholas Cage is going, hey, if Matthew did this, maybe I should try this. So I'm going to go hang out with Kelly at the Quicksilver Pro. Maybe my career will turn around. That's funny. Yeah. I think surfing has appeal to everybody, and people want to go check it out. You know, that's all that that is. I don't you, think it's a publicity thing. You and I have have uh, talked about Sean Doherty, and, I, and I'll do it again. I highly recommend that you read Sean Doherty. It's too bad, although I, I could do without his really um, enthusiastic Australian accent. He's probably the premier voice for professional surfing, in my opinion. He's one of the great journalists. And uh, if you get a chance, read his blog. It's, you can find it on CoastalWatch.com, which is Australia's version of Surfline. Yeah, and we'll post it on our websites too, SurfSplendorPodcast.com, DownTheLineRadio.com. Um, 
And then, by well, the way, did you notice that I've I've been ripping off your? I love your website. It's so organized and stuff that I just go. Oh, I'm just going to grab all. Oh, this, really? I'm going to grab all the stuff that David's posting and just. You've actually I've been, been mimicking to, your site. Basically. You've been to my website? Yeah, I, I went to your website. Have you ever listened to an episode of Sir Splendor? I don't think I have. Whoa! I don't think, I don't think you have either. But um, I'll tell not you what. that I don't want to. But um, my life is is I'm I'm engaged with you, a lot of stuff. Here. Yeah, the things that you want to do. <laughs> So you got me there. let's make a deal. <laughs> okay. For every boardroom show I go to, which is a weekend out of my life, yeah. you listen to one hour of Surf Splendor. I will do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, no, so you're you're one week you're one episode back on me then because I've been to one boardroom show. Okay, all right. I, I look. It's not that I seriously. I I assume as soon as I listen, I'm going to be hooked. And it'll oh. be another podcast. Do you want to see the podcast that I listen to? No, I don't, actually. The Thomas Jefferson Hour, my friend. Have you ever listened to the Thomas Jefferson Hour? I have this week because you posted a Facebook recommendation on it. What did you think? This current episode sucks. It's just boring. It's about weather. Yeah. But I went back because I know Jefferson is a huge wine uh, enthusiast. Yes. As am I. Yes. So I went back and listened to the wine episode, and it was fantastic. Yeah. And I'm currently listening to the one about the women in Jefferson's life. Which I thought was going to be a little bit more scandalous, but instead they just spent most of the hour talking about his mom and his sister and, yeah, and his wife. daughters and stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm a big history freak, so I enjoyed the Thomas Jefferson Hour. Yeah, it's a good show. Um, so, the other... By the way, did you know that I've been on the Thomas Jefferson Hour? No. Yes. In the past, they would have listeners call in questions, and I called in to the Thomas Jefferson Hour, and I said, hey, my name's Scott, I'm from Southern California, I'm a surfer, I ride waves, I want to know what Mr... Jefferson thinks about the concept of, uh, you know, uh, riding waves, the idea of not working to the idea of, of what surfers are, this, you know, just hedonistic, just pleasure, ride waves, you know, and um, they, they listened to my voicemail on the air and they answered my question. Cool. Yeah. What did he have to say about it? He basically kind of said, you know, Mr. Jefferson would look down on it because it's like, you know, you're either working, you know, the, his work ethic would have a problem with the idea of, of, you know, beach bums searching out the perfect ride. I think they have a misconception about surfers. The beach bum conception, you know? It's kind of like that is the prevailing stereotype, of course, but we are hardworking, dedicated enthusiasts, you know? And we're not of a Jefferson work ethic, even. Yeah, I think that Lewis and Clark would have enjoyed you know, watching us ride waves. And, and we're no different than climbers or mountain bikers or uh, golfers or, you know, we're just people that enjoy what, you know, what our, our passion is. Yeah. Uh, one last ASP note on my end, which I would like to pat myself on the back for, throwing it back four or six months into last season, I said, I heard industry rumors, I think Dane is going to try to requalify in 2014. I would say it looks like he's trying to requalify in 2014 now that we're here. He did the uh, the QS events, the two QS events and he in Australia. looked good in Hawaii. And he looked good in Hawaii. Looked good year. in Hawaii. Yeah. And the QS events in Australia at Manly, it's like he's surfing knee-high waves, but he was actually trying his best right. to get scores out there. And now he's into round three at the Quick Pro, which is going to garner him some points. So he's looking looking more fit, looking enthusiastic. Well, I think all of North America wants to see that happen. I know that the ASP wants to see that happen, and I know that the powers that be behind the scenes at the ASP, the, the people that are pulling strings perhaps at Quicksilver are nudging Dane in that regard, and I'm sure Kelly's probably had some words with him too about it. 
he entered the Bolito, the Mr. Price Pro at Bolito, which is a, I think it's a six star in yeah. South Africa. So he's already committed to that event too. Okay, well that so, says a lot. And exciting times. That would be good, and um, I, I hope Dane goes a very long way in this event. Uh, I'm going to introduce a new segment to our program this week. Cool. It's called This Week in Surf History. Oh, good. Yeah. I love it. So this segment uh, is where I go on to the encyclopedia of surfing.com. Not a a plug for them, but it is kind of. Go ahead. Um, And I just randomly pick one of their tiles and Mm -hmm. I choose to talk about that. Okay. To give listeners insight into surf history. All right. And this one I actually chose strategically because of... The amazing performance in the Roxy Pro uh, yesterday, women's surfing, I think, just hit a new high point. So I wanted to bring up a female surfer named Phyllis O'Donnell. Hmm. Are you familiar with Phyllis O'Donnell, Scott Bass? Phyllis O'Donnell. Phyllis O'Donnell. I don't think I am. Wispy, regular foot surfer from Sydney, Australia. Hmm. No, 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 no bells no, rung. No, it's not ringing a bell at all. Here's why she should ring a bell: all right. is because she was the winner of the 1964 Surfing World Championships, the first ever women's world champion surfer. Okay, 1964. 1964. That is an important note in our in surf history. She began surfing at the age of 23, and a mere four years later, she was the surprise winner of the Australian national titles. And just a few weeks after that. At Sydney's Manly Beach, she defeated American champion Linda Benson uh, to become the sport's first ever world champion when she was 27 years old. And she was also the oldest female competitor in the event by more than three years. So she had only been surfing for four years. She was the oldest competitor at age 27. And um, I guess she was just known for being five foot two, small, really friendly, really smiley and happy. Everybody loved her. But in the water... She was a terror, and she even said, quote, I was a horribly, horribly aggressive, and I swore like a trooper. Um, <laughs> and then after she retired from surfing, I guess she worked at Dewey Weber Surfboards in the South Bay of California for a little bit. She judged events. She appeared in a few surf, uh, surf films, and then in 1996, she was inducted into the Australian Surfing Hall of Fame. So that is the legacy of Phyllis O'Donnell this week in surf history. Cool. Well, that's a great segment. Good job on that. Thanks. Um, I like it. Thanks. Um, I, I am not prepared uh, for a kook or duke or anything like that. I, I got to admit, I'm just rolling. Uh, I'm winging it. That's okay. Um, one final note. Last night, it was um, noted that Waves Magazine is no longer in print. Ah, I think the, what, yeah. the, the magazine that's actually on shelves right now is going to be their last mag. So yeah. they will be no more. Australian surf publication, Waves Mag, which was an offshoot of, of Tracks Mag. Yeah, it was a Tracks thing. Yeah, and I think they on... started in the 70s, so they've been around a long time. Yeah. Kind of geared for the youth. That makes sense. The print sort of, you know, I mean, Trans World's gone, Waves is gone. So let me ask you, um, is print, or how long until print is officially dead? Speaking to a man who comes from... A little bit of a print background. I don't know. I, I. That's a good question. You know, I, what is? I it? don't think that print will ever be dead, but that sounds awfully archaic for some reason. You know, but I, I you know, I guess it's a matter of technology. How good is technology going to get? You yeah, know? I don't know. I think as many magazines that have gone away in the recent years, though, that many have come too. Like. We now have Later Magazine. We have Monster Children Magazine. 
which are both surfing publications that are geared towards the youth and actually really great publications. Um, you know, the, those aren't really surf magazines, I don't think. I think those so. Those are youth lifestyle magazines, aren't With they? a heavy focus on surfing, though. Well, maybe. And maybe that's the new direction. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know. That's really, what that does is it speaks to the so-called surf industry, which isn't really based around surfing. It's based around youth lifestyle. Yeah. And, and, and that actually is a bigger problem for the ASP, you know, because if the ASP thinks that Quicksilver's, all of Quicksilver's eggs are in the surfing basket, they're wrong, you know. Right. And same with Ruka and Billabong and all of the companies now. I mean, Vans is a great example. Vans is, is arguably, and, and probably is, in fact, the largest quote-unquote surf company in the world mm -hmm. as far as like net revenues or whatever they're killing it you know like they're making tons of money more money than anybody and you know how do they make money they sell tennis shoes right how many tennis shoes do you need to surf none zero zero point zero like Blukowski's grade point average uh, but to Vans's credit they're putting a lot of energy into surf but if you look at the bottom line of Vans if they lost their surf division They'd still be killing it. Right. And they realize that, you know, like my wife and my son buys time. My wife probably buys 10 to 12 pairs of Vans a year, maybe more. And uh, Vans kills speak it. The, speak you know? of the devil, huh? Yeah. Like, she's just now coming back from the store. She's got Vans in her hand. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, my son goes through Vans. But, you know, so that's a problem for the ASP, you know, like they need to realize that these surf companies aren't necessarily surf companies anymore. They're youth lifestyle companies. They're heavily into skating, heavily into snowboarding, heavily into um, social media and digital and making films and art and playing guitar and all of this stuff. And the day of the cut and dried surf company is long gone. Yeah, I agree. We've talked a lot of business this show. Can I throw back to a personal surfing experience real quick? Yeah. In reference to... Um, talking about jason board's blog last week how surfing ruined my life yes or two weeks ago i guess it was yeah and you were kind of bummed out on surfing i've been kind of hyped on surfing and the very next i was thinking about that conversation we had about his blog and it's like so much obsession about surfing that he decided to give it up for a year and just abandon it completely because it was dominating his life yeah and i was taking the stance of like no man i i try to have balance in my life and try to surf a bit but also make sure to spend time with the family and also make sure to work and make sure to do these run and do these other physical activities so it's not all surf all the time so the next day the next couple days we had waves after we did that show and i remember i surfed five sessions in two days and i rode three different surfboards among those days just had a blast like had tons of fun surf 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 for this 48 hours you know and then the following day, it was a Sunday, and I was like, I'm going to spend time with my wife, go to breakfast, go to church, uh, maybe do some lunch stuff, like just not surf at all. The waves were still good that day. I found myself at 10 a.m. at church, checking my phone, seeing other people post Instagrams about how good the waves were. And even though I had just surfed my brains out for 48 hours... I was pissed that I wasn't at the beach on that third day. Just think how Jason Board feels. Exactly. And I was <laughs> like, so it's easy to, tr like, I am trying to have this kind of more higher evolved approach of like, no, I'm going to live my life in balance. Surfed a few days, got it out of my system. Now I'm going to enjoy this other part of my life. Easier said than done. Because once I tried to enjoy that other part of my life, I was miserable. And my wife probably wished I would have went surfing instead of went to breakfast pissed. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, it's tough. Finding that balance is easier said than done. 
and uh, it's a continuous struggle. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, Jason's progress through the coming year here. It'll yeah. Be, it'll Have be you kept up to date with the blog? Uh, I haven't looked at it lately, but I need, I do need to go. He, I'm friends with him on Facebook, so I get to see a lot of the stuff that he posts up, and uh, I need to go check out the, the recent stuff. Okay, yeah. The one that I read about him was just that he had cheated yesterday. No way. Yeah. He cheated already? Well, then you read the whole thing, and spoiler alert... It's just that he went to the beach and started mind surfing. Oh. So he's at the park with his kid looking at the oh, waves. Oh, I, I read that one. Yeah, I yeah, read yeah. that one. So the, the title is that he cheated, but it was just a fantasy in his mind of cheating. Ah. Um, so Duke and Kook, shall we? Yeah, I don't really have one, but I mean, I could wing it. No, I got a Duke for you. Right. Um, Duke Kahanamoko, a guy that we look up to, a person this week that Dave Scales looks up to. Yeah, and this relates to your buddy's story that started off this episode of kind of a harrowing ocean experience. Yeah. Two days ago, there was a giant uh, swell at Piahi, Jaws oh, in yeah. Maui. Oh, yes, yes. So a lot of big wave Did surfing went down. Well, I'm going to get to that. Okay. Yeah, do you want to explain it real quick? No, go ahead. I don't want to. So two days ago... Dej O'Connell, which is a uh, upcoming Maui surfer who does amazing airs. He's done fairly well competitively on the QS, but also is a big wave surfer. Um, he caught the wave of the day, and it basically had this giant step in it. So he's paddling into it. There's a bit of wind on the face. Hits this huge step in the middle of the face of the wave. Lands this kind of free fall adjustment after the step, but the wave breaks behind him. And he wipes out on it. His blow-up vest, which is supposed to inflate and save you if you're held underwater for too long, actually popped underwater. So that's the first method of saving his life. That blows up. So that that's out the window. He lost his board. Actually, his leash broke. But before he lost his board, it hit him in the leg and cut him severely in two different spots. So he has two huge gashes on his leg. The board disappears. Um, on that same wave that he wiped out on, it washes into the channel and flips a boat, which you were alluding to because this is all caught on video, of course, and it's on YouTube. We'll post the video on our websites. But basically, this boat flips over in the channel, so all the rescue teams are now busy cleaning up that disaster. Dej finally comes up from his wipeout, he, he has these huge gashes on his legs. His boards are gone. His inflatable vest is popped. So he gets washed in towards the rocks. He's fighting for survival. Before he gets washed into the rocks, thankfully, one of the two rescue skis is able to swoop in and rescue him. And um, he's pulled to safe, safety and he survives. And even the guy driving the jet ski said, like, Dej never once complained or said, hey, man, where were you guys? I almost died. He was just all smiles, like thrilled to be rescued. Um, the Instagram I saw, he posted an Instagram of his open wounds in the hospital. And then um, Albie Layer, another surfer from Maui, posted an Instagram of Dej in the hospital bed, giving a thumbs up, just like, hey, man, all is good. We survived. Everybody did their job out there. I was prepared enough to survive the situation and do my job until they rescued me. And... Uh, even though a couple of things went wrong, all good. So, Duke of the Week, Dej O'Connell. Cool. Wow, interesting stuff, you know. And, um, yeah, we'll post the video of the boat. And the um, wipeout. I, I understand that the guy that, that was the captain of that boat was a bit of a, of a knucklehead. 
Oh, he easily could have dodged that. I think there there might have been some alcohol involved. I don't want to. Um, this is just what I heard through the grapevine. Okay. That that you know he was just sort of in uh, you know out of his element. I guess I should say. Well, all the other boats in the channel and skis and surfers who were sitting on their boards, when that wave broke, they all paddled into the channel because they could anticipate the whitewash coming. And that boat didn't. You know that boat just got mowed down by the whitewash and it flipped over on its side. So that's a huge Yeah, loss. I got a text from somebody that was in the water when it happened, and he said that this guy was being a nightmare the whole time. Oh, really? Yeah. So what was the aftermath of that boat? I don't know. I, they were all okay. Nobody got hurt or injured. I, I'm, I don't know. They must have flipped it back over and, you know, got it towed back or something. I, I don't really know. I just, again, I heard, I got a text okay. um, from somebody that said, yeah, okay. guy, was, guy was a nightmare. Well, I got a kook of the week as well. Anybody who buys a Louis Vuitton surfboard, which is priced at ten thousand six hundred U.S. dollars, wow! Can you believe that? Louis Vuitton for ten grand. Louis Vuitton is now in the surfboard. Are game. they? Uh, they must be capitalizing on Beyonce and that new hit single she has. Isn't there some? Doesn't she have a song about she a surfboard? Does. Or something? She does. Yeah, I've never heard it, but I've seen people talking yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I've never heard it, but I've seen people talk. So maybe that's what. The Louis Vuitton angle is. Louis Vuitton surfboard. I don't know who shaped it. It looks like, I mean, a normal surfboard, but anybody who spends $10,000 on a Louis Vuitton surfboard is a kook, in my mind, kook of the week, because that $10,000 to your local shaper would be, I mean, honestly, local shapers hardly can eke out a living. We all know that. Shapers worldwide do it for the love, and they are among the most talented craftsmen out there, and uh, they barely eke out a living, so... Donate that ten thousand bucks. Don't donate it to him, but go spend ten thousand dollars with your local shaper buying a board from him. Buy a Jeez. bunch of bunch of boards. Because it's that ten grand going to Louis Vuitton's bottom line doesn't benefit the surf industry. You know, um, great point, and I appreciate you pointing out that. Um, and I know all the surfers and the craftsmen in the surf world do too. Um, backing up a little bit, I, I forgot to mention. Um, I did get a call from my contacts in Tahiti. I spoke uh, with my guy in Tahiti last week. And his, uh, regarding the ASP and the Billabong event at Chopu, he was saying, look, the, the, the Tahitian Surf Federation has not heard a peep from the ASP. Um, they're all expecting to be, you know, hired like they're always hired. And, and, you know, the beach marshals and the scaffolding and the whole setup is run through the Tahitian Surfing Federation. And nobody in Tahiti has heard anything from the uh, ASP regarding the Billabong event. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. You know, I know that the ASP is probably, you know, running on uh, fumes right now, trying to get every event up and running. And um, we'll, let's wait and see where that takes us, because that's rather interesting that, you know, I'm getting a call from my guy in Tahiti who's very well connected and saying, hey, you know, um, do you know anything about this? He listens to the show, by the way, and so he knows that we're, we're talking heavily about the ASP, the new ASP. So it'll be interesting to see how the Tahitian event plays out. The politics there are deep, and uh, they're more, uh, they're deeper than you may realize regarding the players that we all know in Tahiti. Um, you know, it's interesting. So, And that event's in May, right? I think it is, yeah. So that's a mere two months away? Yeah, nobody in Tahiti's even heard from the ASP. That's scary. Yeah. I mean, talk about waiting till last minute. The ASP waited till last minute to reveal the schedule at large, and then even when they announced that Karamas was on it, that changed, 
you know, uh, a month into the season or a couple weeks into the season, and they replaced it with Jay Bay. So, yeah, I mean, those guys really wait until the last minute to reveal what's going on. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. I mean, there's so much politics in each geographic region. Right now, the guys at the ASP are just trying to come through Australia and deal with the egos there. Then there's um, politics everywhere, so it's just really, really interesting uh, how this year is going to unfold and all the stuff that's going to be thrown at the ASP. I tell you, I'm glad I'm not in their shoes. And a, but a real lack of transparency on their part, which I think is uh, making everybody more nervous. Well, yeah. and there's been some great articles in the Australian media about the guys that own the ASP. You know, have you you've heard? Have you read about this? Um, Ziff guy, last name Z I F F. He's the the he's investor the money. basically. Yeah, he's the money. His wife is the money behind this whole. His wife just got uh, you know a a fancy towards women surfing and said, "Honey, let's invest in this thing." And like all the pieces fell into, and so some multi-billionaire guy in Florida owns the ASP basically, along with you know four or five others. Do you know anything about his background? Like he seems like a good guy that you know he's born into money. His dad, you know, it, it's. If you Google it, just Wikipedia Z-I-F-F, um, you know, I, I, I don't know his first name, but yeah, I was reading about him, Tim Baker or somebody, maybe it was Sean Doherty, somebody in Australia wrote a great article about him. And, um, you know, he's got a lot of money and his wife wanted to buy the Pro Tour and so they did. Yeah, interesting. We should get some more information yeah. for our listeners on this next time. Yeah, we will. We so will, will you sure. remind me to get some background on Absolutely. this Ziff character that is the main... A money man behind the ASP. I will. All right, Scott. All right. Long so, show. Thanks for bearing with us. We hope we were entertaining. We hope we were informative. We hope we were insightful. Yeah, thanks for listening. Um, I'm going to post one other thing real quickly about surfboards. I mentioned Louis Vuitton. Uh, uh, Mercedes-Benz actually designed a surfboard, co-designed it with Garrett McNamara. Did you see that? I did. I did see yeah, that. Yeah, so I don't need to talk at length about it, but I'll post the video to that of... Um, Garrett McNamara riding the Mercedes-Benz surfboard at, in Portugal at the Big Wave Spot, whose name we never know how to pronounce, Nazir, Nazare, whatever it happens to be. Yeah. So I'll post that video too. But again, all the media that um, we talked about in this episode, video, photos, links to websites, can all be found on my website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, and then also on Scott's website. Yeah, downtheLineRadio.com. You can find all of the stuff that we've been discussing there. And you can also leave comments on those uh, pages about this show. Just join in the conversation. And also on social media, I'm at SurfSplendor is the Instagram and Twitter. And then Facebook.com slash SurfSplendor. Did you see that? I see that. Is that Swami's? <laughs> That's Swami's. Are you on the ASIM right there? That's Big Saturday. Are you on that Carl no, Ekstrom? No, that's a Bing. That's a 6-4 oh, okay. Bing. Man, that anyway. is an amazing wave, Scott. You should post that photo. Oh, man, my that's ego your, is going through the roof right now. It's your new Facebook profile pit. It's Scott <laughs> Scott dropping in on like a double overhead right at Swami's. Almost like a free fall drop. It was. It was the Crazy. greatest drop of my life. Awesome, man. <laughs> hey, until next week, uh, thanks so much for listening to David and I. Uh, adios and aloha. And that's what's happening this week in Surf News. Thank you, Scott Bass, for helping co-host the show. Thank you, Johnny Kessel, for sharing your amazing story. 
We're thrilled that you made it back to shore and uh, can't wait to see you in the lineup next time. Thanks to all the listeners of Surf Splendor. As you're probably well aware by hearing me say it repeatedly, all past shows are archived for free at surfsplendorpodcast.com or in iTunes or Stitcher. If you listen in one of those two apps, please make sure to rate the show if you haven't already and leave a review to help other future listeners find our show. Also, you can follow us on social media at Surf Splendor, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, also, make sure to share the show with a friend. I always ask for that, but honestly, that is the best form of advertising. That's our only form of advertising, but it's organic and it's truthful. And um, if you like the show and you want to hear more episodes in the future, that is your little investment into our show is simply to share it with a friend. And until next time, this is David Scales signing off and saying aloha. Aloha.